0: This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of practical shepherding. And I'm joined once again with Jim Sebastio. Hey, Jim. Hi, Brian. Thanks for joining me again. You're welcome. Good to see you. We're going to jump right into topic here in just a moment. But before we do that, just want to let you know if uh, practical shepherding has been a help to you in any way, would you go to practicalshepherding.com? There's a donate page. Would you go and give a financial gift, end-of-the-year gift? It's tax-deductible. And it goes to support this podcast as well as all the other ministries that we have With Practical Shepherding, Uh, a lot of exciting stuff happening uh, for next year. And so we're looking forward to be able to to dive into that. And we're we're grateful for anybody who wants to help us, support us to do that. So if you go do that, we would appreciate it. Also, PracticalShepherding.com, our website, has all kinds of content and ways we can serve you, including you can write us through the contact page. Even write us to suggest a podcast topic, Jim, if they want to do that. They can. So feel free to do that. You can also catch us through social media. We're grateful many of you write in to us when we put a question out there say, hey, what do we want a topic to cover on the podcast? What kind of topic? And several of you write in each time. So thank you for that. We want to address the topics that are most pressing to you. So continue to do that and reach out to us. We would love for you to uh, to contribute in that way. Jim, it was a few weeks ago, probably about three or four weeks ago, we did an episode on constitutions and covenants, which was an enjoyable discussion and actually We heard from several folks saying that that was helpful. That's typically not a topic that catches your attention or is going to be listened to all the time, but we know it's a relevant thing. Every pastor is going to have to deal with a Constitution and a covenant, and I would say needs to deal with it. It needs to be an active part of the congregation's life. There's a third C, though, that we put in there that we really didn't deal with a whole lot, and we want to recognize that it's also it's certainly equally important, if not more, and that's the C, confession. That's the doctrinal positions of the church. We want to do this because we didn't get to spend a lot of time on that a few weeks ago when we did the other episode. There was also a question that came in, though, asking really relevant question that I see pastors wrestle through all the time, especially as they're you know, interviewing with a church or determining whether they want to go serve there. How much doctrinal agreement does a pastor have to have with a church to go pastor that church? And when you go to that church and then maybe really realize the dark underbelly of the church and you learn about the doctrine of the church in a way you did not before, then what does a pastor do? How much does he live with? How much does he push to change? So this is a really, as, as one who works with a lot of guys trying to find churches, this is a really big topic uh, to talk about. That's what we want to dive into. So Jim, let's just kind of start with the, the C, confession, the confession of faith of the, of the church. How important is, let's the start there at this basic level, how important is a local church to know and understand who they are doctrinally?
1: I don't know that I could overemphasize it. It's it's one of those most important things about a church, and so I think you ought to uh, have, uh, in some way, published or public or made available uh, in your church what you believe. So it's very often on a church. It's going to be up there, one of the on a website, one of the tabs about us. It's going to be what we believe. And I, uh, it may be fairly minimal. It, it may be a larger—so some churches are going to say, if you're a Southern Baptist church, you might say, we hold to the Baptist faith and message. If you're a Presbyterian church, we hold to the Westminster Confession. If you're a classically Reformed church, uh, the Three Forms of Unity or whatever, you know, uh, if you're a Reformed Baptist church, you may say you hold to the London Baptist Confession of 1689. And then you may publish some kind of a digest uh, of that, but it gives somebody uh, an understanding, particularly if you have in your name something like we are, you know, uh, community church, or we are such-and-such such Bible church, and, and for somebody to say, okay, well, what do they believe? What, are the, what is their doctrine? Right. What's their view of the church? What's their view of the ordinances? You know, what's their view of, of justification? What's their understanding of, of the scriptures? Uh, and again I think a lot of a lot of churches will have something maybe a five or six seven eight nine ten uh, things that uh like like on the scriptures on the Trinity uh, on the person of Christ uh, on justification on the Christian life on end times you know that that sort right, of a thing right. they'll have they'll have a, a few things and sometimes it's it's rather uh, general Protestant um uh, and orthodox statements uh, and other things. You'll pick up, oh, maybe there's something this month. Oh, they've got a, a statement on election or on predestination. For some, they're going to have a greater emphasis on end times things. If you're a dispensational church, you'll probably have something in there about the the rapture and about the millennium and uh, you know those, those kinds of things. And it's interesting sometimes to read that and to think, well, that's very interesting that that's in there. So today you might even find something about – uh, marriage, about sexuality, about social justice, about critical race theory or yeah. something like that, are being put into some people's doctrinal statements. Right. And they're letting you know, this is what we thought through, this is what we've hammered through. Yeah. Now, having said that, Brian, I think that we're probably going to be dealing in a lot of cases, guys entering into churches, particularly if they're in a, like, a revitalization work, where there's very little understanding or publication of what the doctrine is. And maybe, again, if they're an older church, oh, years and years ago we held to the New Hampshire Confession or something like that. Right, but the church members but have no idea what it But the church had no says. idea about that. and And the reality is you could preach a wide variety of things, and as long as you're not giving too many buzzwords, people may not understand your own doctrinal position. So yeah. some churches— Aren't going to have a doctrinal position that's really known or published, or that's taught, uh, and uh, which I'm going to argue. So we're going to really deal with two different things. I'm going to argue first of all that you should do that. Uh, so that's the first thing is that you should uh, do you, what you, you should you should have a way of uh, being able to promote and to present your your general uh, doctrinal convictions as a church. Yeah. Uh, what are the things that are, to use some of the language, what are the things most surely believed among us? What are the things that we hold in common? What are the things that that matter to us that we're, we are not going to budge on uh, in regard to, whether it's inspiration or justification by faith, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, the virgin birth of Christ, the bodily resurrection, the second coming of Christ— and those things mark you out and let somebody know. Okay, this is not a liberal church. This is a this is a, an evangelical uh, Bible believing church that holds to the essentials of historic Christianity. Well, you have to also think of another category. You're right. There, you want to make
0: yourself distinct by your confession, by your statement of faith. And the first way you do it is what you just said are the things that that are the if you. Talk about the triage model of the, first, you know, the the essentials that you mm-hmm. have to have, and you obviously want to be in agreement with with many other churches along those lines to show that, like the the that top level is, you know, we hold to this or we're not sure you understand the gospel by, right. by this, and of course then there you get into the the second and third tier and you get some disagreement around those things, but, but that's the first way to be distinct is that you have these. Unwav, you know, uh, unshakable doctrines that cannot be compromised on. Every member has to sign off on right. these things. But I want to highlight: there's another important way to be distinct in your statement of faith in your confession, and that is the ways that you're different from churches. And right. and so even you, like, I'll just speak out of Southern Baptist life. There is the there are churches that affirm the Baptist faith and message 2000, and then there are mm. those who. From the Baptist Faith Message from 1963, Mm -hmm. and there are some distinct differences in those two documents that makes a strong statement about the church and about. So the Baptist Faith Message 2000. There's several things in it from from marriage to other things that was not in the other that makes them fairly distinct. I will even say in Reformed Baptist circles, Jim, that the Second London Baptist Confession of 1689 is what your church holds to. Correct. Correct. I know of not, not many but I know of a few reformed churches that hold to the first London Baptist right. confession because there were two two or three specific issues right. that that there was a disagreement on and none of them were first tier issues so right. so I think we need to highlight that that, that our state our confession of faith not only boldly says what we believe, but it also makes us distinct, even from other churches, even within our own denominations.
1: Because the reality, Brian, for many people, when they're choosing a church, they're going to choose a church on the basis of secondary issues, more than likely, right? And what I mean by that is that you know you may say, uh, so for instance, I'm looking for a church you know, where I'm Presbyterian, and so you're not just if you're Presbyterian, you're not just looking for a church that holds to an orthodox view of the trinity and of the person and work of christ the virgin birth there's probably several right, right cuz yeah. there're going to be you know It'll there be might be several. hundreds of churches in the area that hold right. to that uh, Position on baptism, but, but you want to know, oh uh, yeah, 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 on church leadership and yeah. on baptism. Yeah. And you know, what's your view of the covenants? You know, or if you're charismatic, you yeah. know, just say, okay, I am an evangelical charismatic. Uh, I believe in the essentials of justification by faith. I believe in the finished work of Christ, but I also I am a continualist. So yeah. what you're going to look for is a church that isn't just, you know, holding to a, a future second coming and uh, an orthodox view of the. Uh, of the canon and and of inspiration that you're also wanting to find that, or if you're reformed or Calvinistic, you're going to want to note, okay, does this church preach sovereign grace? Does this church hold to the doctrines of grace, the five points, or something like that? And so, very often, it is those kinds of things um that are going to matter most. So even this begins to enter into the question of of doctrinal agreement. Yeah. So let, let's. So, so let's shift there. We, I think we've established kind of what a confession of faith is. We
0: we do want to give a few minutes to that. We don't want to assume everybody understands yeah. what this is. And let is. me just
1: let, let maybe back up and say one thing about that, or that, that the purpose of of your of your stating this is for your church and to act as guardrails of orthodoxy for that church. So it ought to be known and held to by the members but it is also for uh, seekers or for investigators uh, into your church so that you have something you can present to them they say, well what does your church believe yeah. And you're not just saying, well you, you know we don't have a position on baptism. there are churches that don't well we do both you know we sprinkle babies and we immerse or we immerse babies and sprinkle adults. you know we do whatever we want you know but that we, is we, a position right it, a, it is yeah. ultimately a position but they're not but they're not, is distinct. You're not yeah. as distinct, you know. So, so let's insert
0: it back into the 3 C's conversation from before. We got constitution that is how the church functions really. You have covenant which is how the members understand how they're making how they living together in what's membership. What's my responsibility and my to you? Responsibility what are my, what's to this my church. commitment to you? And the confession, the C, the third C is what do we believe which in in essence really defines who you are as a local church is what exactly I, I
1: think says. as much as any of those other things so I think more, perhaps even more so
0: so let's take the rest of our time and, and kind of point more to the question that was asked and that's a pastor's interview with a church he's looking for the you're scouring the internet looking to where to send your resume <laughs> kind of this is what the what what happens and I deal with it all the time and I get this question all the time how much doctrinal you know, alignment do I have to have with a church uh, to be able to go and pastor that church? And that's even just taken initially figuring out, do I want to make bother to make this effort? And uh, once you get in the middle of the process and you discover really what the church holds to, they have to wrestle with that. So I want to make two, there are two distinctions in a typical church. Shouldn't be, but this is the way it is. Every church to some, even if you have to dust it off and it's in the back of the filing cabinet, every church has a, has a confession of faith. Uh, usually, it's, it was a common practice historically since, I mean, whenever that a church would would have a confession of faith, they would affirm as they, their church begins. Right. So find the statement of faith and read it, but do not assume that church holds to that confession of faith when you go. Now, I'm talking in revitalization circles, right? I'm talking right. about a pastor... Looking at a church that's struggling and dying, or whatever it is, and so you do have the confession. You can start there. When I went to Auburn the confession of faith was the Abstract of Principles of 1859, the statement of faith of of Southern Seminary. Great statement of faith. Yeah, um, our church didn't remotely hold to a lot of the things that were in that statement, but I did. So you know, when I went there and realized this church, there's many things about this church that they do not sign off on my decision allowed me to go there because I was going to be able to teach, just teach the Bible ultimately. But my plan was to move them slowly in that direction anyways. And the fact that I had the original statement of faith to pull from made me say, okay, I can do this. But then there's other situations where it's not the case. And pastors go in, in 12, 18 months, they're preaching the Bible and they're preaching these doctrines. And there are people there that notice. And I'm watching a lot of of things go wrong and badly. So Jim, what kind of advice would you give as a pastor's going, he's, he's trying to figure out what, what are the things that I have to agree with them on? And what are some of the things that I don't have to be, again, remembering that I'm actually going to be the pastor. I'm not going in as a member of the church. I actually am going to be the pastor who's
1: preaching. What, what do you say about that? Well, I I think that you want to be, well, first of all, you want to be, you need to be in substantial agreement. And what I mean by that is, uh, if if you're going into and say, oh, the only church that was available was uh, Sandy Springs Presbyterian Church, and you're a Baptist, you know, that's and, a problem. Yeah, that's a that's problem. A problem. Or, or vice versa, or you you know, you just graduated I from agree. Westminster or Reformed, and you're theological seminary, and you're really a Pado Baptist by conviction, and this church is a Baptist church, that might be easier in certain ways, depending, you know, but but it still is going to be. A problem, And and you need to be open and honest about that. That'll actually be a problem for that church. It like will I, be, I, yeah, for that church. For that. I wouldn't see that church calling them. But right, yeah. right. Yeah. And I think you also need to understand how much, which of these things really matters to this church. So yeah. again, for some churches, your eschatological position matters a lot. In it, some churches, they haven't really thought about it. They yeah. just know Christ is coming. It's all I really care about. Uh, I, I have no idea what this scheme is that they don't have the charts. They don't have a, you know, but they're not post-millennial. They're not a millennial. They're, they're gen- whatever it is, they might be. But in some places they're going to want to know, all right, do you, you pre post or, you know, mid tribulation and you're like, I, I don't hold any of those. Well, that's going to be, you know, you need to understand, does that really matter? Uh, and so I think you need to understand what that, that church, you need to be able to go to that church and say, do you have a statement of faith? And then to sit down with the steering committee or the leadership committee, the pulpit committee, and to say to them, okay, when it comes down to practically, what are these things that you, when you say, these are the things most surely believed among us, this is what marks us out um, as the people of God. And then also you want to want to say, uh, you know, uh, are you willing to be led as I you know, uh, that as I hold the the general that these are the guardrails? You know, certainly again of general orthodoxy. I am not going to preach contrary to the historic Christian faith. But you might say, listen, if you're going into a, a Free Will Baptist church and and you're a five point Calvinist, yeah, it, it may not be the job for you. Or you might say to them, listen, you need to understand that I don't. I have an understanding of God's electing and sovereign purposes that are contrary. and, and I'm not going I'm not saying I'm going to preach that every week, but if I preach through Ephesians 1 or if I, I'm preaching through Romans nine, you're going to hear some things that maybe you all haven't ever heard before. and I want I want to yeah. say, are you willing to follow me? Because some churches are willing to do that. Some churches are saying, hey, we, we're beginning to change or we don't really know what we believe. Or all we want is preaching every week, yeah. but I think if you know you are in solid disagreement with uh, a secondary issue, shouldn't be there should not be any question on the primary issues, but secondary. And again, I'm going to include baptism, church leadership. Is election and, a secondary or first issue?
0: Because I think, here, here's why I asked you. I mean, think on that because I'm in the middle of talking with a, a pastor now who got fired by going in and it was it was actually a, a differing doctrine from the church. He was more Calvinistic in his understanding doctrinally. They were not. That actually got highlighted in the interview process. And they both agreed that this is where he is and they that they were in agreement that that they would still call him and acknowledging we know that th- this is different. And you know, hey, we like you and your wife's really sweet and we still want to call you as the pastor. In 18 months, he was he was fired. Now there's there's more that's involved I'm with sure that. Right. But I but I want to highlight that your advice, by the way, is is really good. That to sit down with the with their current confession of faith and walk through it and say, is this what you hold to? You know, it, 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 can you affirm this is the way I'm going to lead? But here's here's the other thing I'll throw in there as one who does a lot with the revitalization. Uh, if you're in agreement, if if everybody agrees to that. You need to go in assuming that when you really preach that in a sermon and you apply it in a way that affects their family or affects them personally, you need to prepare that they are going to not like it and you you will not be as an argument you will not be able to come back to them and go look remember when we talked about this part of the statement of faith you said it was going to be fine right. because the gloves are off at that point cuz you got personal with it all of a sudden when you preached it in a
1: sermon right i'm just saying this is and how that, this and goes that, and that might not well, the issue there might as, as we often say the issue is not the issue you know that so the point the the question that was sent to us is
0: how much doctor alignment do i need to have i think we're giving Sound advice about how to think about that. What where are the places that are essential? What are not? What can I what can I bend on? But the other piece to this we've got to throw out there is just because you might be in agreement as you enter into a church about what those issues are, right. the organic ministry and preaching of the word and pastoral care and all those things when those truths that get applied in the in the congregation in a place that hurts certain people, that they didn't foresee how it was going to affect them, you just need to prepare. That doesn't eliminate the problem in that yeah. way. That's going to happen regardless.
1: I agree. I agree. I think, again, getting back to, I think one of the more fundamental things is you, you have to be able to understand as best you can where they're from. They need to understand as best you're able to articulate where you are. Because I, I think that the... In, in reading the uh, those who have had a strong resistance toward kind of a, a reformed revival in Southern Baptist churches, is that these guys are coming out of seminary, and it's a Trojan horse. Right. That they're saying, oh, I'm a Baptist faith and message guy, but really what they're trying to do, and they feel hoodwinked. They feel like the, right. the pastor was dishonest. Now, I did sit in on those meetings. I don't know which one to believe, you know, the you know do do i believe the guy on the steering committee or do i believe the pastor who said no i was open and honest about those things you know, and a lot of churches I've seen. You know, that you'll actually have to fill out some kind of a doctrinal statement. Right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and they'll interview you on the basis of that doctrinal statement. Again, depending on the church, in some cases that's going to be very, very minimal, and some of the people asking and the questions and going through the answers aren't necessarily going to really understand. That's right. That's right. But I think you need to be clear about what, who you are, and what you and what you are. Theologically, and what you want to see that church grow to be, Uh, and if and if that's, I don't think it's honest, you know, to come in and say, "Well, I'm really a charismatic. I'm coming into a cessationist church, and my hope is to." You know, make them all charismatic, them, or, yeah, or, or, yeah. or I'm going to take make this Presbyterian church Baptist. And that's yeah. really what my goal is because your goal ultimately is to preach the word faithfully week in and week out and let the word do its work. And if and 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 what may happen is that work may reform and become something very different and may even change its confession uh, as a result of the word of the word doing the work, but that's only going to happen when you are a trustworthy person of integrity who really loves that flock and who does them good by your preaching ministry. When that happens, they're going to be willing to say, Hey brother, wherever the word of God leads us, I trust you as a faithful expositor uh, of the word. But I think the the issue really is that of transparency, uh, that of honesty. And if you are in fundamental disagreement on an important issue, that no matter how attractive the paycheck might look uh, in the long run, that's not really, it's not honest to that church. And, and you're going to put yourself into a position, either a feeling compromised uh, or uh, almost this Trojan horse model of, Hey, surprise, this is what I'm really am. So I have
0: two final thoughts I want to give. Num- uh, number one, um, the the more tightly, you are unbending on your positions on things, the smaller the scope will be in churches you can look at. Mm -hmm. Do not compromise your strong doctrinal convictions. But I've also watched guys who want everything to line up perfectly, or they won't even consider it. And you're probably not going to pastor if you do that, by the way. So just keep that in mind. Your circle will shrink the tighter all of your doctrines are. Know what you truly believe that are unbending, and know the things that you're willing to, to be open to. The second thing, and I think this is really important in this conversation in particular, that you can preach well and clearly what you believe doctrinally when you go pastor a church. They will not hear you if you do not make a really tenacious effort to love them well mm-hmm. and win their trust. Because mm-hmm. as I just made my transition from our church, one of the things I can say is some of the dearest people to me in our church, one were people who were after me in the early years, who eventually got were one. But what's interesting is they were relationally one. We came to love each other. Right. I, there's a woman to the day she, she I she died. I buried her earlier this year, one of the dearest ladies to me. She totally disagrees with me on church discipline. She totally disagrees with me on my my convic- my position on election. And she doesn't give a rip and didn't until the day that that we disagreed on that. Hmm. And it's not that it wasn't important to her, but I want to stress that some guys can go in and make it all about doctrine. And and as right. you're trying to find the church to go and love and serve these people uh, don't ram your doctrinal positions that you maybe want to try to convince them right. of. You've got to first love them and win their trust. And when you do that, you either convince them of what the Bible's position is in your opinion and your convictions, uh, or you're going to agree to disagree and still be able to coexist together. And that's what I would stress at the end. Any final word from you, Jim?
1: No, that's I, I would agree with that, Brian. I, I think that you need to consider through what you're... Your uh, priorities are going to be uh, in regard to what are you going to bring, when are you going to bring it, and, and that's going to depend in large measure on the trust that you earn uh, by your integrity, by your affection, and by your handling of the Scriptures.
0: That's good. How about I take a minute and pray in that way? Lord, we're grateful for your Word and how you give us clear truth to know how to build your church and base what we preach in our churches We pray for pastors now and inspiring pastors listening to this, that you would give them wisdom and love and patience with the churches that they would potentially be called to serve in. We pray, Lord, that we would find the balance in preaching unapologetically your truth and yet to do so with a soft and loving hand uh, out of love for the people who would listen. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.